Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Emmanuel Church, how is everybody feeling today? It is great to be here with you. What a joy. Hey, really quick, if this is your very first time at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us here at Greenwood or Banta or Franklin or Garfield Park or online, or for the very first time at our Seymour campus, can we give it up for all of our first-time guests? Someone has invited you because they really feel like you'll benefit from what's going on here at Emmanuel, so thanks for accepting their invitation. And for those of you who are not brand new, we say this every week, welcome back. Good to see you. You guys look great. Starting a brand new series today. Love this because we get to shift gears into some new content and dive into some new ideas. And today we're starting a series called The Benjamins. It's going to be about money. It's all about the money. This is my most expensive prop throughout the year is to hold up a wad of cash like this. The Benjamins. Why are we talking about money? Why are we talking about money in church? When you talk about money in church, people can get funny when you talk about money in church. They get sideways. Well, what's he trying to do? What's he trying to pull? Is he going to ask us for more money? I mean, does he want to drive a Bentley? I do. I do, actually. But that's a sweet car. But that's not what this series is all about, <laughs> okay? No, we're going to talk about money because the Bible talks about money. Did you know, did you know that in the Bible, there are over 2,300 Bible verses about money and possessions and greed and all sorts of stuff related to finances? The Bible talks about money three times more than it talks about love. Amazing. Did you know that 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught were about money or finances or material possessions? Amazing. The Bible talks a lot about money. Why does it talk so much about money? Here's the answer, real simple. Because money and life are intertwined. They are intertwined. You can't live life without money. I mean, what can you really do without money? Think about it. Nothing, right? I remember when I was 19 years old, I went... Uh, I met this beautiful, tall, wonderful, godly woman at Liberty University, and I went home to my parents, and I said, I think I want to get married. I was 19. You know what my dad said to me? What do you think he said to me? He said, son, you don't have any money. <laughs> you need money to get married. So if you're thinking about getting married, you need some money. And that's, like, that's true. You can't do much without money. You can't have a cell phone without money. You can't have a car or you can't, can't put gas in your car without money. You can't do much of anything without money. You can get away from people. You can, you, you can do that. This last weekend, I spent, you know, uh, three days, three and a half days in the woods and kind of got away from people and, and got no cell phone, no watch, none of that stuff. And, uh, and it was a wonderful time. But, but you couldn't, you can't get away from money. Why? Because you need it. Money is like oxygen. 
You cannot live without it. And because money is so intertwined with life, we are sort of forced into a relationship with it. And that's the first filling in your notes today. You're in a relationship with money, much like you're in a relationship with a son or a daughter or a spouse or a husband or a wife. We are in a relationship with money because we must be in a relationship with money. Maybe you hate money. Maybe you love money. Maybe you're indifferent about money. Doesn't matter. You are in a relationship with this thing called money because our lives are intertwined with it. The question I want to dive into in this series is, what kind of relationship are you in with money? What's the quality of your relationship with money? After two decades of pastoral ministry, uh, being a high school pastor and an elite pastor, I have seen money destroy people's lives. I have seen it cause stress and pain. I have seen it cause divorce. I have seen money become just a devastation to people's lives. In your notes, I wrote it like this. If you're in a dysfunctional relationship with money, it literally can devastate your life. When you overvalue money, you can take a job that you hate, but you took it because, oh my gosh, it was a 20% raise. But then you move your family out of state and they're miserable and you're miserable. And why did you do it? Because you overvalued the dollar or you misspent your money. So you had to take the job in order to make more money. I know some people that feel like a failure because of this thing called money. They're getting older now and all their peers around them are making more of this stuff. And, and, and the society has told us that you really are someone or you're really some, some, something important if you have a lot of money. But because you don't have that much, you feel like a failure and you're falling behind your peers. I've seen people who have taken this and, and because their psychology about money is when you have it, you've got to spend it you know, in and out. and You've got to keep up with, your, with the Joneses and they've so purchased and purchased and purchased and purchased that now they're drowning in debt. The average American has $8,000 in credit card debt. We overspend our budget every single month on average. When you're in a dysfunctional relationship with this, it really can devastate your life. I have seen people overwork and spend hour after hour after hour at the office and neglect their wife and neglect their husband and neglect their children. And 10 years later, you know, they want a divorce or even five years later. And like, what happened? Well, you, you spend all your time at work. Why? Pursuing this. When all I want is you to be home and be with the kids and... When you have a dysfunctional relationship with money, it can devastate your life. I've seen people fall in love with money so much that they're willing to break the law and do something illegal. Some of you may have heard about this guy, Rajat Gupta. Rajat Gupta. Maybe you haven't. Recently, I read a book called uh, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, and he writes about Rajat Gupta. Amazing story. This guy grew up in the slums of Calcutta. He was orphaned at, at the age of 10. Miraculously, somehow, I don't even know how, but he makes it to America. And he becomes, by the time he's 40 years old, the CEO of McKinsey, which was like the most you know, uh, powerful, successful consulting firm in the United States. He becomes the CEO. In 2007, he retires. At that point, he's worth $100 million. Do you agree that's a lot of money? $100 million. At 5% interest, that's $600. You're making $600 an hour. Could you live off of that, anybody? Could you live off that? $600 an hour? Doing nothing, just, just, just collecting interest at 5%. That's a lot of money. He's so successful after he retires from 
uh, from, from, the, from the consulting firm, he starts doing philanthropic work with Bill Gates. He gets asked to take on a role at the United Nations, the World Economic Forum. And this, he gets asked to sit on five companies, uh, that are, that, uh, five public companies. In 2008, he's on the board of Goldman Sachs. Okay? You remember 2008? <laughs> That's a blur for some of us. It's a tough economic time. And Goldman Sachs was going under. Enter Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett steps into the situation. He goes into the boardroom with the Goldman board. And he says, I'm going to take $5 billion of my own money. I'm going to float it to you guys. And we're going to, make, we're going to keep Goldman Sachs afloat. Well, Rajat is in the meeting. Not 16 seconds after the meeting closes out, guess what he does? He calls a stockbroker, says buy $175,000 worth of Goldman stock. Sure enough, he makes the purchase. The next day, uh, Monday morning, the news about Warren Buffett's $5 billion investment goes out to the public. Everybody buys the stock. He sells his, and he makes a quick million dollars. What's that called? Insider trading. Come to find out, that was a pattern that, of his that he had. Well, he got arrested. It was real easy to figure out what he was doing. And he went to jail for two years, lost his job, lost his reputation. And even to this day, even though he's out of jail, he's seeking vengeance on those who put him in jail. He's unrepentant and he's angry. Money has ruined his life. A hundred, hundred million wasn't enough. He had to keep making more. See, we're all in a relationship with money. We all relate to this in a certain way. And if we're in an unhealthy relationship with it, it really can devastate our lives. Here, here's, here's my heart in this series, okay, as your pastor. I want money to be a blessing to you, not a curse. I want you to be in a healthy relationship with it so that it's doing wonderful things for you instead of horrible things to you. That's the whole point of this series. How do we develop a relationship with money? Well, it starts in the home when we're growing up. It starts with your family. Your family shapes how you relate to money. We watch our mom, we watch our dad, our stepmom, our stepdad, or our grandparents, whoever raised us. And they have little sayings about money. Do you remember what they told you? My mom used to say, honey, it doesn't grow on trees. You know what the message was to me? You, there's, there's a limited supply. You know, there's not that much. That's my, that was my psychology when I was growing up. She, my mom would often say, because I would ask for big things like, I don't know, Michael Jordan sneakers that were like 100 bucks back then. Big time money, big time money. And I remember being in middle school, Mom, can I get the Jordans? And my mom would say, we can't, say with me, we can't afford it. Translation, we don't. There are some kids out there that have it. And there are some kids that don't. <laughs> and I, so they we got the knockoff brand, and that was fine and whatever, but it was a little bit embarrassing. But that, so you grow up and you learn these different things from your parents. And some of you are on the other, on the other side of it. You know, you asked for Jordans, and it was like, honey, if you want it, get it. Here's the card. You know, and as a 12-year-old, that just ruined you. Did you hear what Shaquille O'Neal said recently? I think yesterday. One of his kids said publicly, we are rich. And Shaquille said, we are not rich. I am rich. <laughs> oh, I love that. Do not give your kids a lot of money. You're going to ruin them, okay? But we learn, we learn about money from our parents and how they handle it and the little sayings that ha they say. A penny save is a penny earned, all these different things. Then our friends enter the picture. We learn about money from our friends. They have a psychology about money. They say things like, hey, you know, 
get it if you can get it get all that you can get pile it up or if you you know spend it if you got it you know I have one friend that that even tells me today you can't take it with you and what does he mean by that he means buy it if you want it. <laughs> That's what he means. Like, stop hoarding the money. And, and he's kind of right, but he's kind of wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you're, that's not a good, always the good plan to spend it if you got it. You know, you can't take it with you. But you learn these different things from your friends about money. And then there's society. Society. They come in and they say, well, you're really important if you have a lot of money. Or you're someone significant, or someone to be respected, or how about this one? Money is the only real security, and we learn these different things from whether it's a Dave Ramsey or someone else, a Susie Orman, or whoever it is, Robert Kiyosaki, and you have all these gurus out there, and society has its message. And then we take all these things we've learned from childhood, friends, society, and we relate, we form a relationship with money. What if the relationship is toxic? What if it's dysfunctional? Eventually, it will devastate your life. So what we need to do is get better ideas about money. We need to look into God's word. Over 2,300 verses are about money or possessions or finance. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to look at what are those ideas so that we can... Here's what happens. Our relationship with money is formed by the ideas that we've gathered from family, friends, and society. What if we gather the ideas about money from God's word? That will shape a healthy relationship with money. So that's what I want to do for the next four weeks. Sound fun? Sound fun? Okay, let's dive in. Let's talk about this first idea. Money is a test. You open up the Bible, and what you find is money is a test. Not like the SATs or a math test or anything like that. I hated those. I bombed the SAT. Anybody else? I hate exams. Love you teachers out there. I just too much pressure, too much stress. Anyway, not that kind of test. I'm not going to hand out exams today. It's more like the test that you get when you go into the hospital and they test you to see if you have some sort of problem, okay? Or an x-ray. You go under, they take a picture of your soul, and you, you find out what you look like when you undergo the test. That's what money is. Money just reveals what's going on in your life, who you are, and what your priorities are. Money is a test. Let's talk about four different tests that money does for us. First of all, money is a test of your work ethic. Money is a test of your work ethic. Let me ask you a question today. How much money do you have in your wallet, in your accounts? Well, in a very real way, that's determined by how hard you are working and how smart you are. Are working. Listen to what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 6. This is King Solomon, very, very wealthy individual. He says this, the plans of the diligent, those who are steadfast, those who endure, those who keep going when it's hard. That's what the word diligent means. The plans of the diligent lead to, say it with me, profit. This is a financial word, cash, money, abundance. When you plan well and you work your butt off, you will make a lot of money as surely as haste leads to poverty. Money is a test. Do you have some? It's probably because you're working hard and you're working smart. I tried to teach our kids this from the very young age. In a, in a, in a, a society like America, now I know that, that, that we have people watching from other countries and, I, and I'm not sure what your situation is there, but in America, in the free market system, here's how it works. You add value to the market and guess what? You get paid for the value. That's, that's the world that we live in. You add value, you get paid for that value. Now, today, unfortunately, a lot of pe people are being told a lie, that it actually works like this, that there's this big pot of money somewhere underneath the White House, and there's these evil politicians 
that are cutting it up and chopping it up and sending out portions of money to all of the Americans. And some people are getting more and some people are getting less. Sort of, it kind of looks like this. It's like a big pie. And, and these evil politicians are, are giving a huge portion to the rich and a, a bigger portion to the middle class. And, this, and then there's like the rest of us over here. And we're waiting for our check to come in from the government. That is not how it works in a free market system, okay? It's not coming. That's the way it works in socialism. But we do not live in a socialistic society, at least not yet. We live in a free market system where you add value and you get paid. For example, I was, uh, my son Bo started working at Chick-fil-A about two years ago, two and a half, three years ago. And he started at an incredible $7.45 an hour. It was amazing. That's called the minimum wage. You don't stay there. It's the minimum wage, and then you move up, right? And so I told him, I said, as you add value, and you learn to do the milkshakes, and you learn to do the fries, and then when you learn to do this, you'll get paid more. Sure enough, crazy thing happened. A year later, he was at like $8.50 an hour. And then as he learned some different things, he went to $9.50 an hour. And then guess what he learned to do? The chicken. Now, you know how important the chicken is at Chick-fil-A. It is the deal, okay? You have to bread it correctly. You've got to fry it correctly. It's all a process, and that's why it's called God's chicken, right? Because it comes out perfectly. And so he learned to do the chicken, and then not only did he learn to do the chicken, he became a trainer of those who do the chicken. He got a blue shirt. He's no longer in a red shirt. He got a blue shirt, got a promotion. Guess what he makes now? $13 an hour. Why? Why? Because he's adding more value to the marketplace, and when you add more value to the marketplace, you make more money. Does this make sense? We live in a society today where people actually are expecting a chunk to come from the government. It's not how it works. You actually have to work hard if you want to make money. It's amazing today. I read an article uh, just, just this week. One-third of all working men are not working today in America. One-third, that's 30 million men. And you can see it all over the place. You drive down a road, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. I'm not even talking about the ladies. Ladies, I won't pick on you. Let's pick on the men. What are you doing, playing Xbox? Like, what are you doing? 30 million men are not working today in America. You know what the Bible says about this? It says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. You say, the Bible doesn't say that. Oh, yes, it does. Those who are unwilling to work should not get to eat. 30 million men should not be eating tonight. You say, I don't have any money. I'm waiting for the government to cough it up. Oh, really? That's not how it works. Get to work. Money is a test of your work ethic. What else is it a test of? It is a test of your stewardship. Your stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is when someone gives you something that doesn't belong to you, and then you have to manage it. Okay? It's not yours, you simply manage it. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. He explained it like this. Stewardship is managing God's treasures in God's way for God's purposes and always for God's glory. Do you know the Bible teaches that all the money in the world and all the world belongs to God? You say, where does it say that? Exodus chapter 19. Real simple. The earth is mine. <laughs> Don't you love God sometimes? It's super clear. Like, it's all my, you, like, you think the money in your account is yours. It's not. It's mine. You say, well, Pastor Danny, you just said that money is a test of my work ethic and that if I have some, it's because I've earned it. Yes, I did. Now you're contradicting yourself. You're saying it all belongs to God. Yes, I said that too. 
How's that work? Well, think about it. If you're making a lot of money, or making a decent amount of money because of your skill set, your hands, you're a carpenter, you, you, you're a teacher, you can think, you can create, you can solve problems, you fix things, and because you're adding value to the marketplace, you're getting paid for it, that's awesome. And you need to work that system. But who gave you the strength to do it? Who gave you the hands to fix it? Who gave you the brain to solve it? Where, who gave us the ability to earn money? Answer? Answer, it is our heavenly father that gave us a brain and eyes and hands and feet and energy to create wealth. So in that sense, indirectly, it's all his. And then he gives it to us as we work hard. And then he says, manage it for me. See, money is a test of our stewardship. Jesus taught, Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 16. Pay attention. Powerful, powerful words. He says that Jesus said, if you're faithful with little things you'll be faithful in larger responsibilities. However, if you're dishonest or unfaithful in little things, then you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. What is he teaching here? He's getting to something. Watch this. Next verse. Verse 11. And if you're untrustworthy or unfaithful about the Benjamins or with the money I put in your pocket here on earth, who will trust you with the true riches of, say it with me, of heaven? This could change your life. What Jesus is teaching here is that I am going to put dollars in your hand and then I'm going to watch how you manage it. And if you are faithful with the little bit of money I put in your hands on earth, when you die, I will put true riches in your hand in heaven. But if you are unfaithful with the worldly wealth here on earth and you spend it frivolously and you're selfish with it and you're greedy and you don't use it for my purposes or my will, then when you get to heaven, because money is not an issue of going to heaven and hell, but when you get to heaven, you will be poor in heaven. I'm watching how you manage the worldly wealth and if you're untrustworthy with it, I will not put real riches in your hands. See, a lot of people think that heaven is this place that we go and we're, we're, when we die and we're going to be on clouds and we're going to shoot bow and arrow at each other and we're going to have harps and maybe a halo and maybe some wings and we're going to sing Amazing Grace for 10,000 years. That sounds horrible. If that's heaven, I'm going to be punching people in the face in the clouds. <laughs> Get over here. Can we stop singing this song? Can we sing a different one? <laughs> that is not heaven. You know what heaven is? Heaven is a civilization. Have, there'll be a government. And you know who will sit on the throne in this government? Jesus Christ himself. There'll be no Congress. There'll be no judges. Right? Is anybody excited about that? There'll be no political parties. We will have one judge, one king, and he will rule the government, and then he will dish out responsibilities on earth. Heaven will be on earth. Hello. And you will get responsibilities, and I will get responsibilities. Well, how does Jesus determine who gets more responsibility than the next person? How you manage worldly wealth. That is what determines how much wealth you'll have in heaven. See, there's some of us here that are not very wealthy on this side of heaven but we're, manage, we're managing what we have very well. So in heaven, we are going to be extremely wealthy. And the exact opposite is true. There's some people down here on earth that have millions and millions and millions and millions, but they're mismanaging it. And so in heaven, they will have very little. Make sense? It's a test of our work ethic. It's a test of our stewardship. And then number three, it's a test of our love for other people. 
It's a test of our love for other people. The Bible teaches very specifically the level of your generosity is a test of the depth of your love. You say, where does it say that? Watch this. Paul is trying to motivate this group of Christians in Corinth to give a bunch of money to some other Christians who are underprivileged. Listen to what he says. Since you guys are so excellent or you excel in all these different ways in your faith, you've got great speakers in the church, great pastors who can articulate truth. You've got lots of knowledge about the Old Testament, New Testament, about Jesus. You've got great enthusiasm. Your passion is high and your love is very high for us. In the same way that you excel in all these areas, I want you to excel in this gracious act of, say with me, of giving. To who? To this underprivileged group of people that Paul was trying to raise money for. And then he says this in verse 8. Watch this. I love Paul. <laughs> he says, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm not making a rule out of this, okay? It's not legalism. You got to give. You got to give. You got to give. No. But I am testing how, watch this, how genuine your love is by comparing your generosity or your eagerness with other churches. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, man, I've been all over the place collecting money for these Christians over here. And, and I'm, when, you, when you guys give your mud, when you guys give your Benjamins, I'm going to count it. And I'm going to compare it to what the last church gave. And then I'm going to come to a conclusion about the depth of your love. Because the level of your generosity reveals the level of your love for others. In other words, if you came to my house and you opened up our checkbook, our check registry, which Jackie keeps, I don't. And you looked at our spending, you ought to be able to say our pastor loves people. You ought to, be, you ought to see it in our ledger. Gifts, 10% to the church. You ought to be able to see the generosity in the ledger. And I ought to be able to say the same thing about you. If I came to your house and looked at your checkbook and said, wow, I can really see how deep you love people. You say, how, how do you know that? Well, look, look, what you, look where you're putting your cash. Your money is a test of your love for others. And then number four, number four, money is a test of your character. It is a test of your character. The Benjamins. The Benjamins reveal who you are. You see, here's how it works. Money, a lot of people think that money is evil. Money is not evil. I mean, money is passive at best. I mean, look at this. This is pretty cool bit of money there, right? What is it doing? I mean, if you, if you dropped this money on the ground, what's it going to do? Nothing, because money doesn't do anything. It's passive. It's neutral. It just hangs out. It only does something when, what happens? When, when someone picks it up. And now all of a sudden, it's activated. How, how, through what? What is it activated by? It's activated by my soul. What kind of man am I? Am I a generous man? Am I a selfish man? Am I a greedy man? Am I a gener you know, am I, am I a loving man? Am I creative? Do I want to bless people? Do I want to curse people? And then all of a sudden, whatever's inside of me goes through my arm and goes through this and, and creates something. You see, money only has power because of who, who is holding it. Does that make sense? Money only creates something based on whose hand it's in. Some people take this money and they, they start a a drug cartel or, or pornographic site. Money didn't do that. 
The person did it. Some people take the money and you know what they do? They build an orphanage. Money didn't do that. The person holding the money built the orphanage. You, you with me? Money just reveals who you are. When it gets into your hand, you want to find out what kind of person you are. Don't tell people that you're this or that or I'm loving or I'm, I'm a person of integrity or, or I'm a generous. You don't have to. Just, just, just open your checkbook. Because that reveals what kind of person you really are. He said, did Jesus teach this? You better believe he did. He said, for where your treasure is, where your cash is, where your Benjamins are, that's where your, say it with me, your heart. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says heart? Your character. How you're spending your money reveals what's most important to you. It reveals your values, what you're like as a person. It has no power in and of itself. It just shows you who, it acts like a mirror. It shows you who you are. So what have I said today? Well, we're forced into a relationship with money because life and money is intertwined. If you have a dysfunctional relationship with it, it could devastate your life. End up taking a job you shouldn't take. End up losing a marriage because you overvalue it. All kinds of problems. And so what we need to do in order to have a healthy relationship with money is to get some new ideas. And today we learned a new idea. Maybe it's not new to you. Maybe you already knew this. You just need to be, to be reminded. Money is a test. That's all it does. It, it reveals our work ethic. And it reveals our stewardship. It reveals our love for people. And it reveals who we are. Can I ask you a question today as we wrap up? Tough question. I want you to wrestle with it. What does your relationship with money look like? Does it stress you out? Is it, is it the source of deep anxiety and worry? Do you, are you grasping of it? Is it, can you, are you in a situation where you have enough but you want more because it's not enough because there are other people around you that have more? Like, like what is your relationship with money? Here's where I'm at right, right now. I'm 44 years old. My wife is 43. We've got three kids. One is in college. The next one's going to college next year. Money is important to us right now. Yes? Yes? That's an incredible stage of life. College is expensive. If you can get a scholarship, go get, go get it. We need some money. Money is important. And because Jackie and I are in a healthy relationship with money, and we have been for over a decade, a lot of what we learned from Dave Ramsey and other people, money today is blessing our lives instead of cursing our lives. We haven't had a fight about money, and I can't even remember we don't even have tension in our relationship revolving around money. Why? Because we have these ideas that have shaped. We know what money can do. We know what money can't do. We put it in its proper place, and in its proper place, it blesses you instead of cursing you. And that's really what I want for you. I want money to be a blessing to you. And that's, that's God's plan for it. What does your relationship with money look like? What is it producing in your life? Think about that this week. As we wrap up, I just want to close by talking about a message that's on the money itself. So clever. It's on the 100. It's on the 50. It's on the 20. It's on the 10. It's on the 1. We'll just look at the Benjamin because, you know, he just doesn't look very happy, right? Shouldn't he be happy he's on the 100? He just seemed like maybe he was a sourpuss. Anybody now? I don't know. The, he needs a smile. Maybe, maybe that is his smile. I don't know. But on the back of the Benjamin, 
there's a simple message. In God we trust. I think that's so important for us because there's certain things that money can do, and we're going to talk about that next week, the, the, the practical functions of, of money in our lives and how it blesses us. But then there's this whole other side of a human where money can't even, it can't even touch it. I'm talking about our soul. See, we can't take something physical like money or stuff and satisfy something spiritual. Like our souls were designed for God, by God and for God. And trying to cram money into our soul to find happiness or salvation, it never works. It's called idolatry. It always breaks the worshiper's heart when we commit idolatry. So the, so the, money, the money actually has the best message in the world. In, you have to trust God. Like only Jesus Christ can satisfy your soul. That's why he called himself the living water. That's why he called himself the bread of life. Like only Christ comes to give eternal life, life to the spirit. One time Jesus said, you must be born again. Remember in John chapter three? And Nicodemus, when he heard those words, he's like, how can a man enter back into his mother's womb? That's so weird, that's so gross. Missed it, he missed it, he missed it. Born again, not from a woman, but born again in the spirit. Like you have to be renewed. Money, couldn't, money can't do that. There's a function to it, but it could never save your soul. It can never wash away your sins. It can never make you a brand new person. It cannot reconcile you to God. And so we put it away and we say, you know what? I need to look to God for the needs of my soul. The Bible talks about reconciliation between God and man. You wanna know why it talks about reconciliation? Because we have blown it. We have sinned and our sin has separated us from God and there's nothing that money can do to fix that. We need a savior. And so God the Father, out of love for you and me, sends his son to this earth to die on a cross, to take care of sin, the penalty of sin, the pain of sin, the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, the separation of sin. And he says, when you trust in my son, you can be reconciled. Your soul can find peace in God if you trust in Christ. And that is the message of this church. And yes, we need money to live. And yes, it's intertwined with life. But never mistake money for God because it cannot do what only God can do. Some of you are, it's clicking for you right now. And you're like, man, I need, I need that soul satisfaction. I need forgiveness. That's the spirit of God working in your life. So I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of trust. It's you saying to Jesus, forgive my sins, make me whole, make me your child. I trust in you. If you feel led to pray this right now, I'm just talking to you and you alone. You know who you are. This moment is yours. Step into it and trust in Christ. Just take these words, make them your own. Take what little faith that you have in your heart and express it to God. He sees it. Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, I put my trust in you today. I believe you died in my place paid the price for my sin, canceled the debt held against me. And so I trust you. I put my full confidence in you. I believe in you. I ask you to wash my soul, cleanse me, redeem me, reconcile me to your Father. Be my Savior today. And from this day forward, teach me to cherish you and love you 
and prioritize you and obey you and worship you and love you and honor you with my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? God is changing hearts. He is changing souls. If you just prayed that prayer, hey, we want to put a Bible in your hands as soon as possible. Somebody did that for me. I want to do that for you. So we have this box. We call it our saved box. If you would text the word saved to 65248, if you're at any one of our physical locations, you can grab this at the uh, information booth out there. If you're watching online, just put some information there about your address. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. There's some information also about our church, baptism, small group. And there's a coffee cup in here in here uh, because we believe in caffeine as well as the Holy Spirit. I'm just kidding. Uh, you don't have to drink coffee, but there is a coffee cup in here for you. So text the word SAVE to 65248 and we'll and grab one of these. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. We're all in a relationship with money. What kind of relationship are you in? Is it healthy? Is it toxic? Is it blessing you or is it cursing you? We need some new ideas about money so we can relate to, relate to it the way God wants us to. Next week, we're gonna be talking about the practical functionality of money. You're not gonna wanna miss this. Bring your friends. And so right now, I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. God bless you. We'll see you next week.